Morning, everyone. Uh, hopefully, you guys got in before the rain started pounding down. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like outside now, but hopefully, even when you're leaving, uh, you won't get drenched either. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Young, uh, lead pastor here at New Life, and uh, it's great to be with you guys and to see so many people uh, gathering together once again. As Christine mentioned, uh, we're in the final week of our Goodbye 2021 series. You know, we're still about a month out from the end of 2021, but this is the final week of the series itself. Um, what I found with the Goodbye 2021 series is there's like a bit of a risk, you know, when it comes to a series like this, because it, it pushes us towards greater disciplines uh, through, I guess, acknowledging the sin that we partake in, you know, whether it's uh, uh, combativeness or whatever it might be. And... Sometimes when we acknowledge these things, it causes us to uh, go into self-loathing. You know, like we examine ourselves and we're like, oh, I hate this about myself, you know, or we look too inward. And of course, uh, we also can turn to believing that we can do everything through our own works. You know, but hopefully uh, through the gracious presence of uh, our God, we'll be able to see that we can always admit uh, to our sin before our gracious God. Uh, we can give thanks for what we've received in him, and we can also see that only in him is the glory of salvation. You know, it's only through his grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to change as we are saved. So with that in mind, why don't we draw near to the throne of grace in prayer as we look at uh, the final portion of our series. Lord, you are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. There is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great, and you rescued my life from the depths. Father, we turn to you this morning as we go into our final week of our series, Goodbye 2021. Uh, we look back on the year that was and the year that uh, was even the year before. And we think about the ways that we've picked up all sorts of habits throughout um, our lives, whether it might be um, combativeness or whether it might be compartmentalization, whatever it might be. And today, as we look at uh, this thing, continuous partial attention, we want to be able to say that we're not distracted. But God, it's so hard. Um, even when we sit across the table from a physical person and we give ourselves over to distractions, how can we look to you, a spiritual being, our spiritual father, and not be distracted? We confess before you that we struggle with these things and we ask, Lord, for your help because without your help, we have nothing. Uh, our works are like straw. And so we turn to you and ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to change our habits. Help us, Lord, to align our hearts before you once again and to seek you uh, in intentionality. And we want to be as intentional as your son Jesus was. So Lord, help us this morning to be intentional in the way that we listen to your word, uh, the way that we receive your spirit, and the way that we lay ourselves bare before you and our community, looking to confess, to repent, 
and to be changed by you once again, and indeed to lay down our pride that we might be able to receive your forgiveness, your grace. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've uh, ever been in this situation. Um, you've been wanting to introduce your favorite movie to someone that you really like. You know, your friend, your family member, whoever it might be, okay? Just try to think about your, fa your favorite movie right now. And finally, after a lot of trying to convince them, let's watch this movie together. Let's just sit down, you know, lockdown restrictions are pretty much up, come to my house, I can have as many people as I want, you know, come and sit on the couch and let's watch this movie together. So you get them ready and you've been hyping them up because you keep talking about how this is your favorite movie, best movie ever made you know, to you, and you tell them how much you love it, and you're excited, movie's getting going, you know, they get that, you know, the woman holding up the torch at the beginning, you know, the credits start rolling, and you're mouthing along with all the dialogue, and you're excited, you know, <laughs> you've memorized everything, you're excited for the next scene, because it blew you away the first time you ever saw it, and you know this is going to change this guy's life, you know it. Like, it changed the direction of your life somehow. You know, whatever your favorite movie is. Maybe that's pretty funny. You glance out the side of your eye, and you're, like, waiting for the reaction. You ever do, you're, like, looking at them, you know, to see how they're digesting this movie. And then you see them looking at their phones like this. You just see their face lit up. And they're just, like, and the scene passes, and they don't even notice. Their lives aren't changed. I hate this, you know, we all do, right? Like, if we ever try to introduce our favorite movie, TV show to someone, and they're just scrolling through their phone, we hate this, right? Like, this is the worst thing ever. We know internally that being distracted even a little bit can completely change our perspective on something. You know, we completely miss something. Our final sermon in Goodbye 2021 is Goodbye Continuous Partial Attention and you might be wondering, what is the meaning of this big mouthful of a phrase? You know, continuous partial attention. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, okay. Um, there's this ex-Apple and Microsoft consultant named Linda Stone, follow along with me. She coined this phrase, continuous partial attention, which describes how many of us use our attention today. Okay, this actually describes us. It's different from multitasking. When we multitask, we're very intentional, we're motivated by a desire to be more productive and more efficient. Okay, so I'm not talking about multitasking here, but continuous partial attention. It's motivated by this desire to, be con to connect and to be connected. We wanna effectively scan for opportunity and optimize for the best opportunities, activities, and contacts in any given moment. We wanna be busy, to be connected, and we think that to do these things is to be alive to be recognized and to matter. So we pay continuous partial attention in an effort not to miss anything. It's an always on, anywhere, anytime, any place kind of behavior that involves this artificial sense of constant crisis. Okay, so there's like a miniature crisis happening inside your mind, your heart, and you're constantly paying attention. We're always in high alert when we pay continuous partial attention. So we exist in a constant state of alertness that scans the world, but never really gives our full attention to anything. So in the short term, we adapt well to these demands, but in the long term, 
the stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, they create a physiological hyper-alert state that's always scanning for stimuli, provoking a sense of addiction, temporarily assuaged by checking in. I know this feels kind of like a TED talk right now, okay? So just follow along with me. All right, it may lead to increased stress and decreased ability to focus and concentrate on the present moment, prohibiting reflection, contemplation, and thoughtful decision-making. The constant connectedness may also affect relationships, lower productivity levels, and lead to overstimulation and a lack of fulfillment. And this is someone that used to work at Apple. This is someone that used to work at Microsoft pointing this out. The fact that most of our society is given over to continuous partial attention now. We're not present. We're constantly distracted and we fool ourselves into thinking that we are multitasking, that we are paying attention, when in reality, we're just rapidly changing tasks. A couple of years ago, I made a New Year's resolution to, as much as possible, focus on only one thing at any given time, rather than splitting my attention. Okay? It sounds kind of small, but it's very difficult for some reason. Okay? That meant, for me, trying my best not to check my phone when I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone. And it's a lot easier when I'm sitting across the table from someone and they're looking right at me, and I feel very rude if I just take out my phone, I'm just looking at it. But it's a lot harder when I'm on the phone with someone and they're not looking at me. Or when I'm in Zoom, you know, we've been in Zoom for the last 18 years, it feels like. And sometimes when we're on Zoom, we just have like a million tabs open looking at other stuff. It also meant not scrolling through my phone when I'm trying to read a book, for example. You know, it became really hard in the last 10 years to finish a book. Almost everything had to do with my phone, really. What I found in the times that I actually stuck to this resolution was that I was just able to focus so much better. This seems obvious, right? I'm not splitting my attention. I was able to focus so much better. It made what I was doing in that moment so much more enjoyable as well. Whether it was a movie, whether it was study, whether it was actually just having a conversation with someone, it made these things so much more enjoyable. So deliberately reducing distractions then might be something that we have to discipline ourselves to do. I acknowledge though that this is getting harder and harder as the years roll on. Only two years on and I already feel like it's so much harder to do. You know, I don't think I've done it properly in the last two years until I catch myself and I think, oh man, I don't know what my wife just said to me, even though I say, I'm listening. You know, I can only imagine how much more difficult it's gonna be 10 years from now when technology gets even better, when they're beaming our phones directly into our brains or whatever they're gonna do next. I can only imagine how much harder it's gonna be. And I need constant reminders to just disconnect for a little bit and pay attention to life happening in front of me. Now, I know my tendency, okay? Maybe you know your tendency as well. I know my tendency is to check everything, look things up on the spot. I finish a movie, and the first thing I wanna do, instead of talking to the person that I've just watched the movie with, I wanna look up trivia about this movie. I wanna find out, like, what was the actor wearing when, you know, whatever it is. I see a weird looking bird outside and I wanna know exactly what species it is. 
I, I want to know all these things in the moment. And we live in a very blessed time where we have information right at our fingertips, where we can connect with people immediately. And yet, you have to admit, life feels just so much more rushed and anxiety-inducing and distracted, doesn't it? It feels like it's just going further and further in that direction. Like, I wonder if my baby's anxious. She's, he's two months old, you know? And these are the thoughts that come to my mind. Everyone struggles with it now. Every year, research mounts that shows that our brains aren't coping with just the amount of information that we receive. And our ability to actually be present in the moment is decreasing. It's not increasing, like you would think, after enough reps, you know, we're just getting better at doing this. No, we're not. We're getting worse at being in the moment. There's a uh, cognitive neuroscientist, and he's also a professor of neurology, physiology, and psychiatry at the University of California, okay, named Dr. Adam Ghazali. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He says, our attention defines the ways in which we perceive things. Furthermore, it allows for a degree of cognitive control that helps us function. When interferences overload us, we exceed the capabilities of our cognitive control and our important everyday faculties become adversely affected. Simply put, distracted living reduces our quality of life. Now, so far, this is all just the wisdom of the world speaking. Okay, we haven't even touched the Bible yet. This is all just purely the wisdom of the world. The impact is that all of this is happening just on a purely physical, emotional, mental level. But think for a moment about our spiritual lives. And suffice to say, the Christian life is best lived intentionally. It's not lived well when it's constantly distracted. A few weeks ago, uh, we had Pastor Matt Kang come uh, when I was on leave, and he preached a new life in a message called Paul's Passion. And he started the sermon saying, life happens to most of us. For most people, life just kind of happens. And this is a problem that's exacerbated by this exact thing, continuous partial attention. Living without real purpose, without intention, means that we just allow life to happen to us. If we live unintentionally, life will just happen to us. Intentionality, then, is the opposing force when it comes to this always-on, constant division of our attention. So the Christian life, when it's lived with intention, means that there's a real purpose about everything that's happening in your life. You know, whether it's something as mundane as going to get a cup of coffee and paying attention to the barista, talking to them, whatever it might be, and you have a real purpose to it. You want to actually preach the good news to them one day, and so you get to know them intentionally. You know, whether it might be in the sharing of conversations with those closest to you, you actually draw them in and you actually care about them. There's an intentionality. With this in mind, let's read through our passage from Hebrews again, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you've been with us here at New Life a while, and this passage seems vaguely familiar to you, but you can't quite picture where you heard it, you may have only been paying partial attention at that time, okay? We looked at this passage briefly during lockdown in a message titled, Endure. Okay, this passage was only a small portion at the end, okay, so I can see why uh, we might forget. We mainly focused on the preceding chapter, chapter 11, where it goes over all these figures from the Old Testament, you know, Abraham and Rahab and all these people who were witnesses to us in faith. What does it mean that they were witnesses? Sometimes we might read a passage like this and we might think, man, there's this big group of people witnessing my life and cheering me on and saying, yes, you can do it. Go, be faithful, pray. And we think that's what it means by witnesses. But it seems more likely that this passage is telling us about witnesses like courtroom witnesses. Those who testify to the goodness of God by their lives, by the quality of the faith in their lives. These are the witnesses who surround us and encourage us to continue to run this race. This is what Hebrews 11 is talking about, Hebrews 12 is talking about. This is the type of witness that they provide. They testified of Jesus Christ's goodness even before his incarnation. Even before they knew who Jesus Christ was, they were testifying to his goodness. We know this because they lived for the promise of God's faithfulness, for the promise of God's grace, before it was actually realized in the incarnate Messiah. Like, when we think about grace, the first thing that should come to our minds is Jesus. When they thought about grace, they couldn't think about Jesus. He hadn't come to this earth yet. Here in 2021, we find ourselves in a post-Jesus era where we have the faithful witness of a very easily accessible Bible, whether on our phones, whether you know, in hard copy, we have a risk-free gathering together, and yet we find ourselves constantly distracted. Biblical scholar uh, Alec Matir once said that the Psalms were written by people who knew a lot less about God than we do, and yet loved God a lot more than we do. You know, perhaps a similar statement could be made about the witnesses that we find listed here in Hebrews. They had no concept of Jesus on a cross and no grid for the salvation plan of God. They just knew that he was going to save them. And yet they were faithful in their witnesses, casting aside the distractions that threatened to pull them away. So these were witnesses in the Christian sense of the word witness. Okay, I love that our missions and evangelism ministry is called witness ministry because the word translated witness for us in this passage, it comes from a Greek word, martus, okay? And it's a loan word for us in English. We use the word martyr these days. This passage is one of the first times where we can find the word witness taking on this Christian flavor of martyrdom, of one who chooses to die for the sake of their faith rather than save their life by renouncing it. Early church scholar Origen, he said of the command to pray constantly in 1 Thessalonians, for the only way we can accept the command to pray constantly 
as referring to a real possibility is by saying that the entire life of a saint taken as a whole is a single great prayer. Like if you've ever read that passage in 1 Thessalonians that tells you pray constantly and you felt overwhelmed thinking, what am I supposed to eat then? You know, like what am I supposed to sleep? No, it's talking about your life should be one long great prayer to God, which comes with its own pressures, I suppose. Because we love our distractions. We love to scroll through our metaphoric phones throughout the movie of life. Life happens all around us and we're still scrolling. And the Bible reminds us in Galatians though, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. Like what does that, that verse mean to you? You know, or again in Romans, it commands us, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Or in Acts, when it tells us, you know, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. We're so unwilling to live our lives as witnesses, as spiritual martyrs, that we can't let go of our lives for even a short moment, for a prolonged period of time, because we need all of our stuff with us. We think that the world will stop if we don't read the message right away. We think that, you know, this person will explode, maybe they will, if you don't reply immediately. That probably speaks of something that's, I don't know. We're constantly distracted from a better life that's waiting for us by all of these things. So why do we do it? If we can acknowledge that this is negative, why do we do it? And why do we still feel like in this moment, I'm still gonna do it? I was going through some old notes in preparation for this sermon and seven years ago, um, I wrote this note from this pastor named Brian Kim um, from California. He observed this problem and he surmised that it had to do with personal branding. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. He posited that basically people take photos of themselves and the food that they eat and the people that they meet in order to market themselves through these photographs in a way. Look at what I'm eating. You can eat this with me. Or I meet these kinds of people. Meet with me. And he thought that it had to do with personal branding. He pointed out the, the problem with this line of thinking though. He said, personal branding is a fallacy, however, as it transforms human beings into businesses and dehumanizes those who seek to market the most human sides of them. It helps to accelerate the disconnect between people. Now, with the benefit of seven more years of living in this kind of society, in this always-on, technology-addicted, saturated culture, we can see that this isn't the only reason anymore. We can see it's not only about personal branding. Part of why we do it, why we do what we do, is that somewhere deep in our hearts, we think that living in this way is beneficial to us. We think that splintering our attention between many different things makes us more productive. We think that it saves and then therefore gives us more time. We think that maybe it even gives us the ability to be in more than one place at once. But there's only 24 hours in any day for any of us. None of us can be anywhere except where we're at. We can fool ourselves into 
watching someone's Instagram live and thinking that we're there, but we're still here. And yet our hearts, they'll secretly push us every moment to make idols of ourselves. Our hearts, they're deceitful. They'll whisper to us that we can be as able as God is, that we can be as omniscient as he is, that we can know more, even that we can be omnipresent, that we can be anywhere else but here as well. And I get it. We think that we can live our lives better, that there's more of our lives to live through the partial attention that we grant everywhere. But what more of life are we so desperate to live? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what more of life is there? Jesus has come promising life and life to the full. We who have tasted and seen that he's good, why do we now turn to what's objectively inferior? What's the nature of a distraction? Okay, what is an actual distraction? It draws your attention away from something else that's more important. That's what a distraction is, right? This great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, their lives testify to a great promise that was yet to come in their lifetimes, but we've experienced it. And yet they don't want to be distracted from these things. Jesus has come to this earth as promised by God all the way in the opening chapters of Genesis. And he came for the removal of sins by the sacrifice of himself, as it says earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews 9. But for us, Jesus isn't evidently visible like the person sitting you know, two square meters away from you. We talked about where he is now. We talked about this back in August. He's exalted above the heavens. He lives now to make intercession on behalf of us at the right hand of God the Father. That's where he's at. But because we can't see him in front of us right in this moment, there doesn't seem to be this defined endpoint either of when he's going to come back. He says this tantalizing thing of like, no one knows. No one knows when I'm coming back. And we kind of internalize that and we struggle with it. A lot of us start getting distracted thinking, well, I don't know if we're thinking this maliciously, but we go and do our own stuff and we think he's not back yet. It's okay. We fail to endure. We lose patience. While we wait and remain patient on the Lord's return, similar to last week as we talked about actually actively loving our enemies, we have to be active in our waiting and our patience as well. We're not passive in this. Okay, we're not passively waiting for the Lord to return. We're active in our faith. As we wait, we pray. We seek God. We request from him what we need. It drives me nuts how often I don't do this, how, how often I just allow myself to get distracted, I recognize a problem, and then I don't pray, and I don't ask God to help. We ask him to help us grow in patience. Otherwise, we'll simply give in to all of the distractions of this world. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what do we do? The distractions are many in this life. Our habits are already formed and life is happening to us. You might already feel that way. You know, you might have your phone already just burning a hole in your pocket. It's just buzzing with all the activity of the world and you're thinking, I'm not gonna make it out alive. I'm gonna give myself to this right away. Like, I already know it. 
You might be feeling this way. But let the medicine of remembrance remind you. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christians, we can get up. We have a race to run. We can't live asleep in the light anymore. We can't afford that. Time is short. Rather than just letting life happen, let's be intentional about all we do in life. That means that recognizing that this partial attention that we give to everything is not beneficial and it's not befitting of who we are, as this passage tells us, we're runners in this race. We can't afford to be distracted. Look at the way the passage describes it. We must be like runners, like athletes who are not only diligent when they're sporting, when they're running, but their conduct outside of the running itself. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares. In a race, anything that's not affiliated with the race is an impediment to the runner, regardless of how good or how bad it might be outside of that context it still remains a distraction during the race. Consider for a moment Cristiano Ronaldo. I've talked about this guy before. You, you guys all know him, right? He's one of the greatest soccer players in the world. There's a story that once he invited a friend of his from his team to his house for lunch. How nice of him, right? He says, come to my house for lunch. And once there, Ronaldo serves him, rich man that he is, a plate of boiled chicken and rice. And after they're done eating, they go into the backyard and Ronaldo forces him to play soccer with him. <laughs> like this is the discipline of a man who's the same age as me, but he's playing at the top level. He's a little less lumpy than I am as well. And he's, he's still going. Don't you think he knows what tastes good? He probably knows it's not boiled chicken and rice. He can... He can eat gold for all I know. You know, he can afford it, right? Don't you think with all the money he has, he can indulge in whatever hobby he likes as well? And yet he sees these things at the peak of his career as hindrances, as distractions, and places them aside in order to run his race. We too, therefore, must put aside anything that would hinder or easily ensnare us. Those things that distract us, those things that we give our partial attention to constantly, Instead, we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's the first, the pioneer, the one who starts our faith. But not only this, he's the one in whom we find the perfection of our faith. Why would we look anywhere else? Apart from him, we can do nothing, the Bible tells us. Look to him, for he's a picture of endurance. When the people reviled him, as he hung upon the cross, taunting him by telling him, save yourself from this torture. Come down from there. When they even mocked his faith in God, saying he trusts in God, as though to say a lot of good that trust is doing, still, what did he do? He trusted. He remained faithful, and still he endured. 
Could Jesus have been distracted by their taunts? Could he have turned from faith in God and looked to this external evidence that's lying right in front of him of being abandoned? He's literally hanging upon a cross, naked, about to die. What son of God is this? He has the external evidence right in front of him. Maybe he has been abandoned. But Jesus continued to believe throughout all of their taunting, all of the chains, all of the whips, even as the nails were being driven through his flesh, he endured in his faith. Even as he was rejected, even as he was left alone and seemingly abandoned. And ironically, as the people taunted him by telling him to come down from the cross, and then they would believe, they told him. The truth is that they needed him to die upon the cross in order to believe that their faith may one day be perfected. We too must remain with our eyes focused upon Jesus, this crucified Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, this faithful Jesus who endures until the very end. He was intentional in all he did throughout his life, death, and resurrection. He never gave anything, only partial attention. Even as he was on his way somewhere, when someone grabbed hold of him, he turned his full undivided attention towards them. He was intentional. And so we too must be intentional, transformed into his image. As we're discipled into his image and likeness, so we too must disciple others into his image and likeness as well. And the distractions will come, just as they always do. If you take your eyes off Jesus, you will stumble and fall and sink just as Peter did in the ocean, but turn to him again. Endure and don't allow distractions to have the final word. And just like Peter, he will lift you up above the waves again. So ask him in prayer to take your distracted attention, to give you a single-minded focus upon him. You can't do it on your own. Ask him for that desire to live with intentionality that you might disciple as he has discipled you, that you might be a witness of the good news of his death and resurrection, just as the witnesses are in Hebrews 12. Why don't I pray for us? Father, sometimes truth rings out and strikes us in our hearts and cuts us to our hearts, and yet we still feel overwhelmed by the mammoth task that lies before us. It's an insurmountable mountain for all of us, Lord. Just the things that distract us are just so readily available, are so easily addictive, are created in this way to take us away. And we've given ourselves to it, whether consciously or unconsciously, we've given ourselves to it and we still do to this very day. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for my own heart. I pray for those that would even be distracted now. Move our hearts, change our hearts, Lord because without you, we have nothing. Even when we determine to do it on our own, we ourselves, our own wills, our harsh taskmasters, constantly telling us and that we're not good enough, 
putting ourselves down and driving us into self-loathing. This guilt is also something that can so easily entangle. These works are also something that can distract us from this race. Take us from there, God, because we know, Lord, that you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servants here at New Life, those that would throw themselves upon your altar of mercy and ask for your grace. We know it's only found in your son. We know, Lord, that he's a pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. If our faith hasn't gotten going yet, help us, Lord, to commit to him, to see, Lord, that he has started us on this road of faith. And if we've been going and if we've been distracted temporarily, cut us to our hearts once again. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, by renewing our minds. Give us the courage to confess and to repent before our people here, before our brothers and sisters, regardless of what that might do to our pride. Help us, Lord, regardless of what our lives might look like on the other end, how different our lives might look, how inconvenient we might feel like everything is. Help us, Lord, to live with intentionality, just as you're intentional towards us. Thank you, Lord, for never being partial in your attention towards us. We have your full undivided attention, and for that, we're eternally grateful because we know, Lord, that all of your attention is turned in love towards us. No part of you is without love towards us. And when we consider that, Lord, our hearts are moved once again. Change us, Lord, from the inside out and change our heart's disposition to be loved towards you once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.